electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the great margin squeeze, Target suffering its second rough day in less than a month. So what does it say about other retailers and the market overall? We'll discuss and debate that with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe, John Ajarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. With me right here on set, Jim Labenthal. It's good to see you in the house again. Let's check the markets here as we always do. Carl just said it, round-tripped a couple times, trying to work our way back, but we're basically flat. NASDAQ's still good for about 16 points. Dow's down just about 12. It is the target news, though, Jason Snipe, that rules the day thus far. Really three angles that I think we need to discuss. This is target itself. What are the impacts on, on other big box retailers and then the markets at large? But you're a shareholder in Target, so take it first. What does this mean to you as a shareholder today? Yeah, Scott. So clearly, I, I, first of all, I'll, I'll say I believe in the Target story. They were flawless, you know, in terms of an, from an operating perspective through the pandemic. Um, I think this is just a responsible uh, note from from Brian, you know, in 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 talking a little bit about the outlook going forward and what what he sees clearly when we talk about margins, you know, a revision to the guy from 3% to 2%. But I really believe that this is a first quarter. Well, I'm sorry, a one quarter issue. You know, when we're talking about inventories are obviously up, they're going to cancel some orders, there's going to be some markdowns here, you know, which could be some some concern there. But he also talked about margins will get back to 6% by the end of the year. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm feeling very comfortable with the call. I think that Target can move through this. I think for the greater picture, when we talk about the consumer, I think the consumer is still healthy. You know, and, I, and, it, and it has been a mixed bag from a retailer perspective and looking at different names and how they've responded to this environment. But I believe in the management here, and I do think they'll move through this pretty well. Steph, you're, you're a shareholder, too. Uh, this is essentially feels like Cornell just kitchen sinking it on the margin issue yep. uh, and the inventory. <clears throat> And maybe that's why the stock has recovered to the magnitude um, it has. It was down a lot more than near 4%. It's down three and three quarters right now. So what's your read here? <coughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't surprised to hear the news this morning. I was very surprised to see it down 10% in the pre-market because we knew all of this already. And it's not good news, but here's the thing. Didn't Retailers bad, are though. holding 20 Right. Didn't know it was this bad. No, yes, you did. No, you did. No, you did. They had 75 days worth of inventory. That's what they told you last quarter. So they have to work that down. So to me, the margins, the the margin is a disappointment for sure. But I mean, the the, the narrative is not uh, surprising because, as I was mentioning, retailers are holding 20 percent more inventory than they have in the last three years. And at the same time, consumers are shifting their spend 
from goods to services. How many times have we talked about this in the past year? We just recently got the GDP revision that showed the same thing. The ADP showed services were doing really well. So that's the theme. But the fact of the matter is the consumer is still spending and they have two trillion in excess savings. So to me, this is a one quarter hit. This is a clearing event versus, by the way, Walmart said it's going to take two quarters for them. Um, And this is going to be very positive for the consumer because you're going to get lower prices. At the same time, they reiterated total revenue for fiscal 23, which is this year, low mid single digits operating margins, as Jason just mentioned, to get back to that six percent guide that they said in the second half of the year. And they're going to be spending on food and beverage, um, on household essentials, on beauty. Beauty is Mm -hmm, a very, mm -hmm. a very positive data point um, in the in the retail spend uh, that we just uh, that we just uh, are seeing here. So I'll come back to you, Steph. I mean, how do we know it's going to be just a one quarter thing? Right. That that's your take. That's Snipes take. um, And that's fine. I respect that. Narratives Mm -hmm. that you talk about can only take a stock so far, right? At some point, it's about the margins, especially a retailer. Uh, It's about earnings. And what if it's a longer turnaround, uh, Steph? I think he's kitchen sinking it. That's what I believe. He has a flawless record uh, in terms of execution. A 2% margin is horrific. Horrific, right? From seven, eight percent that they were guiding to just last year. So they are going to be aggressive in promotions, aggressive. Um, and I think they're going to be even more so than than Walmart. Um, and so I think they're going to push back on their vendors. And I wouldn't touch a vendor at this point. In fact, you ask about other companies and who would benefit. The off pricers are going to benefit substantially mm-hmm. from all of this massive inventory across the board. Yeah, we're going to get to that, too. Doc, you sold your target calls. Uh, you sold your, your they were worthless, obviously. You sold your uh, target puts yep. as well, which you owned for about a week. Yeah, um, we had uh, strong put activity in this name. You know how Pete and I hate to bet against Brian, uh, the, the CEO, of course, Brian Cornell. But um, in this case, um, you know, you could, and I know Pete had a conversation with Mr. Cornell about this. You look at the parking lot, Scott, and you compare them to other retailers, and it was night and day. Um, now, that's not saying, oh, we're brilliant. We saw that coming, and Brian's the guy that runs the company. He sees that, too, over, you know, hundreds and hundreds of stores. So consumers, to Steph's point, were not willing to pay those prices. They will be willing to buy at lower prices, which will likely continue all the way up until back to school. And then the question is, okay, did we work through enough inventories? I agree with Steph 100% that we're going to be seeing TJ Maxx, Kohl's, Dollar General, Dollar Tree. You're going to see all of those um, getting inventories from some of these majors, and uh, those will be the ones that will be far more steady and better uh, on the uh, uh, outlooks than will Target and Walmart Mm. and many of these that are stuck with these big inventories, Scott. You mentioned your brother. Uh, In fact, we have him with us. Uh, We felt we had to talk to Pete Uh for obvious reasons today. (laughs) He he joins us right now. Uh, (laughs) Peter, I don't even know. Oh, there you are. I wasn't sure if you were on the phone or or if you were in front of a camera or not. Um, John just said that, that you spoke with Cornell. Um, do you want to elaborate yeah. on that? Um, no, no I, I'm not going to go too deep into that, Scott, but I, I did notice certain things in the last quarter. We obviously heard what the quarter was reported to us, and Steph, everybody's uh, covered this whole thing with the inventories, right? But what I think you guys, you asked one question that I thought was very important, which was, 
well, how do we know what's going to happen this quarter and then things will get better? I can tell you exactly the answer to that. Brian Cornell said himself, he said, look, we are going to take this on right now, essentially saying, you know what, we've got these inventories. We, we essentially screwed up in this particular category and a lot of that having to do with some of the outdoor stuff. And, and, and that was one of the biggest issues that they ran into was they had a lot of inventory in certain areas. They weren't able to sell it. Now they're going to just absolutely slash it. That's why I think you're seeing those margins go all the way down to 2% because they're willing to be very rapid in how they work this out, get out of this, and then move on. And essentially, he said, matter of fact, the second half of the year is going to be very critical. They see a full bounce back, back up towards that 5% or maybe better level. So I think that's important as well, Scott. I, it's about it's not that the consumer's not there it's not that the consumer's not buying but the problem is they had inventories built up because this consumer was not buying specific areas in certain segments of target and we all know it's broken up into a five different areas each one about 20 percent of the revenue well the problem is one of those really did miss and that was the problem beauty was great they got through the grocery that was fine but a lot of different areas like that but there was other areas where they just had the wrong inventory. They made a mistake. They obviously got too much, and now they're going to have to fire sale it. That's why those margins will drop, but it's also why once they get through that, I think those margins very easily can get back to where they were before. Just so we're fully transparent here, uh, you did speak to Cornell, yeah, or no? <laughs> yes, yes, okay. absolutely I did. Okay. Yep. Um, whatever he told you um, must have made you feel better because I, I'm told you bought more stock in Target this morning. <laughs> well, I actually bought stock long before that, but yeah, it, this morning. But the reality is, how about this? I think one of the things you always look to in a stock when you've got really terrible news like this, right? It was down $15 before the opening. Then it was down 12 Then all of a sudden we started to see a resurgence. It was down 4 or 5 maybe 6 And I thought, you know what? That reaction tells me that people are buying into this idea of, hey, look, this is a second quarter issue, not a second half issue. And I think that's what really made me say, you know what? At these levels, I think I can afford to buy a little bit more, add to it. So that's exactly what I did. It had nothing to do with any conversations or anything else. It had to do with the stock reaction that we were seeing today. And by the way, we are seeing some pretty decent volumes in the options itself as well, Scott, today. Usually Target's not anywhere close to the top ten. It's getting closer to the top 10 in terms of volume itself. Mm. Yeah, Pete, I appreciate you coming on uh, and updating us. I, I was interested, obviously, to hear from you. You weren't on the, uh, the day of Target's earnings uh, in the prior quarter uh, when they really dropped that bomb on the market. Uh, so I'm glad we can catch up with you today. That's Pete Najarian there. So, Jim Labenthal, you do not own uh, the stock. But there are broader implications for big box retailers that you do own, Home Depot among them. Um, you own CVS and Tractor Supply, but the focus seems to be today on Target, Walmart, <laughs> Costco, Depot, et cetera. Yeah, um, look, I agree with what's been said so far. And, you know, Steph, Jason and, and Peter being and John being in the stock, they're talking about the things like whether this is going to last one quarter or two quarters and whether beauty products are selling highly or lowly. You know, actually, I don't really care too much about that. The strongest implication, Scott, not just for the retail sector, but the markets overall, is that inventories globally and corporate wide got too high. So what does that mean? This is macroeconomics. Inventories go too high. You cut prices. This is good for Inflation. This is good for bringing down inflation and maybe taking just a little bit of oomph out of the Fed in terms of how far they need to raise the Fed funds rate. When you're out of the stock on a day like this. Their, they're not going to change the course Scott, of their rate hikes Scott, because, Scott, because Target has a, 
that's not what I said. That's not what I said. What I said was that this has implications for inflation. The Fed <laughs> is going to react to inflation. I don't think that's a I don't think that's an argumentative point right there. The Fed is going to react to inflation. If inflation comes down more than expected, the Fed will ease off a little bit. I'm not talking about a Fed put. I'm not talking about the Fed bailing anybody out. I am saying that for the markets overall, indications right now that inflation could be less than expected are positive for the markets. And this is a strong indication of what that. What about margins, right? What about it's, margins? I feel yeah. like everybody yeah, no, is this explaining is away question. the margins, okay? Yeah. One so, quarter, this quarter, that quarter, <laughs> this thing, that. What about the margins? So margins are going down this quarter and probably next. I don't think we can argue with that. I mean, I think you're, you're strongly saying that. I'm not arguing with that. And, in fact, when I was on with you a week and a half ago and I brought my S&P year-end target down to uh, 48.50, actually 48.96 to be exact, um, one of the things I said was, this quarter and next, you will probably have some earnings revisions, but here's the most important point. Jobs are strong. You hear it in what Mr. Cornell is saying, that the consumer is strong. The consumer is strong because jobs are strong. You're looking into 2023 now, and I'm saying to myself, those earnings estimates for 2023 don't have to come down if inflation starts to be corrected of its own by things like too high of an inventory at Target, at Walmart, yes, at Home Depot as well. Uh, Steph, what if... What if you start to get a parade of, of earnings revisions, right? I mean, if you, want, you talked about narrative a moment ago. What about the overall narrative that creates for the market? It, it certainly plays right into the hands of like a Mike Wilson, for example, of Morgan Stanley, who mm-hmm. suggests the multiples come down enough in, in the stock market, but he's still negative because earnings haven't really come down. And earnings are the next big shoe to drop. And when that happens... Then you're going to have the pullback that he's been looking for in some cases has already happened, but he's looking for even more of one for those very reasons. Well, I think there are certainly some industries that have margin pressure. We're witnessing it here on the big box retailers, right? But there are other companies and industries that are actually margins are holding up remarkably well. Technology, for one, that's that's for sure. And number two, energy and materials, their margins are actually going higher, even in the face of higher costs, because they've got pricing power. So you really do want to focus on companies that do have pricing power. Look, you know what? Cornell screwed up. He just did, right? He didn't get the he didn't get the shift from goods to services. Either did neither did uh, did Walmart, and they were buying this stuff back in December. They should have. They should have foreseen. They should have foreseen this coming. They didn't. That is why the stock target is down 30 uh, percent, and it trades at 13 times earnings. Nobody believes them now. Now it's a credibility issue. I give them credit. For their past. But in terms of margins, there are going to be the haves and the have nots. There's no question about it. Fine companies, again, pricing power, also companies that have done a really good job in terms of restructuring their businesses over the last three years because they had to. They had to rein in costs. So there are a host of them out there, but you really have to do your job but see, in terms of fundamentals. Right, of course. No, all well made points. Um, but Jason, the overall market, so you've got, you know, these revisions now. Uh, or the kitchen sink, if you want to call it that, from Target. You got those revisions from Microsoft. They blamed FX. Um, you got questions about Apple and what the quarter's going to look like because the App Store and the services business. We're just starting here, right? We, are we likely to see many, many more? And is that going to have a bigger impact on where we go from here from an overall stock market standpoint? So I, I think so. I think I think obviously revisions will. This is this is the beginning of revisions. I think revisions guidance guiding lower. Obviously inflation. We have an inflationary print 
later this week. And to Jimmy's point, if it comes in a little bit lower, I think that's super positive for the markets. But I take the other stance in saying, all right, well, from an inflationary standpoint, obviously, if QT standpoint and monetary policy, a lot of that is baked in. The hikes in June and July, I think, are baked in. We'll look to see what happens in September. So, and if I'm looking even in the short run from June until the earnings resume, I do think there will be more volatility that ensues you know, over the next couple of weeks. There's not a lot of information. There's not a lot of catalyst for the markets. You know, it's set for the, kind of the macro data, and then we'll see what happens with, with earnings. But to your point, Scott, I do think uh, we will guide lighter. But again, we're, we're coming off a very strong base. We were talking about record margins last year. So I, I think we'll continue to move through this, and, and I think the second half will be stronger than the first. Could, could I make a quick point? Yeah. And this is, I think, stating what Stephanie was saying a little bit differently, okay? The thing with margins, when margins go down, it could be that the top line's going down. But in this case, we're hearing the consumer is strong. Expenses are going up, whether it's fuel, freight, whatever. Okay, but one company's expenses is another company's revenues. So as long as the top line, as long as retail sales overall are hanging in there, which, by the way, it appears it is, yeah, there may be some movements in the short term around margins. There may be some short-term revisions down. Microsoft revised down by 1% because of foreign currency exchange, not because of demand. And that's the key point. If demand is hanging in there, one company's expenses, which may bring margins down, is another company's revenues. Okay. Um, right. Doc, uh, Jason Snipes said there mm-hmm. aren't a lot of catalysts out there except from a macro standpoint. I mean, the Super Bowl's this Friday in terms of inflation watchers, right? The CPI. Um, the risk around that is, is what? I mean, it feels like, I think at this point, given where the stock market has recovered to, that it's real hard to be negative ahead of that number. Because if you come in anywhere better than expected, do you think the stock market's going to go down? I mean, maybe it will, but I, I, I wouldn't bet on that. Nor would I, Scott. I would not bet on that if, as you say, uh, and the street, uh, the consensus is 8.2. Um, if we come in at between 8 and 8.2, I don't think we go down hard. Um, but I don't think we rally. I think we hold um, gains, but that's not that clear sign that the Fed is asking for, looking for, as far as to see that inflation has peaked. On the other hand, you know, and I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but on the other hand, if we are, you know, we've seen that gas up over nine now. Mm-hmm. We've seen crude oil domestically, WTI up over 120 this morning. It's back down just under that level right now. I know those aren't part of what the Fed really examines, but they can't just dismiss it. If we see a hot read on Friday, Scott, um, I got to say that, as I told Joe yesterday, I hope I'm wrong, but I think that we give up most of that gain that we've enjoyed in the last two weeks. Um, if indeed we come in at an 8.2 to 8.4 or whatever, I think that's really negative given that you know wage gains are in the fours. You know, I'm looking at you, see what you what you 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 tick down a list of of the things that are are bothersome. Natty over nine, nine thirty four. You got crude almost one nineteen. You got the target news. You know what the other thing is, Farmer Jim? The market's taking it all in. The market is taking mm-hmm. it all in, whereas before it would have indigestion and get sick. Now mm-hmm. it's taking it all in. You are, you are giving me the handoff, Scott, 
and I don't want to fumble it, but I'm having a hard time running with it as well because the market isn't exactly, you know, isn't exactly feeling good. I'm not feeling good. I would like the market to rally. You know that. It was an unsettled market, no it, doubt. But what was earlier as a result of at least the target news is not. I'll grant you. Now. Let me now not, let me not, let me not lose yards on the play. Okay. Let me at least do that. Okay. okay. Behind the line. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'll grant you, you're right. We were down 1%. Target was down 8% in the pre-market, and they've both come back. There's also some other positives, and as Dr. J was talking about Natty, I was thinking to myself, and, and Dr. J probably will confirm this, right? Things like lumber have come down recently. Copper has come down. Crude oil is a problem, all right? The energy sector is a problem, but there are other positives out there. Scott, that's the point you're making, and I will run up the gut with this, all right? There are positives that the market till now <laughs> has been ignoring. And I think that if you get a, if you possibly get a better, maybe even a seven handle on Friday's CPI number, the headline year over year, the market would rip on that. No question about it. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Energy, we're just speaking about it. Continues. Jim Labenthal says energy high oil remains a problem. It doesn't remain a problem for those who are invested in, in energy stocks uh, because they've done quite well. And the word on the street is that it's going to continue. We'll talk about that uh, coming up next as we have some big calls in that space and we have a lot of ownership on the desk. We'll be right back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right. Perhaps no surprise, Wall Street is still very hot on energy. Two big calls in the space today. First, Goldman Sachs raises price targets on the super majors. Exxon goes, Steph, to a 117 from 104. Uh, it's now 103. Mm. Conoco goes to 140 from 130. It's now 120. Chevron goes to 181. The stock's sitting at 179 and change. So it's not exactly a big bump. And all of these stocks have done quite well. You have Chevron. Uh, which, if I recall correctly, just became your second largest energy position because Schlumberger, Schlumberger just jumped it from, I think, what you told me last week in overtime. Yes, yes. Schlumberger is by far my biggest energy play right now. Chevron is second and Diamondback Energy is third. I am double my benchmark weighting, so that means I'm 10 percent in my portfolio is energy. 
very strong free cash flows. We've talked about them. Low break-evens across the board. Supply and demand, obviously, there's a huge imbalance, and it's not getting better anytime soon. Valuations still are very, very attractive. And I think what you're going to see is earnings revisions going higher. And these companies have pricing power. So Chevron, I kind of barbell it. I mean, Chevron is kind of the big, boring play, right, and integrated, and it's got a good dividend, good assets, tons of free cash flow keep buying back a lot of stock. I think they can get to a $5 billion buyback. Schlumberger is my hidden technology play. They make their customers more efficient and talk about pricing power and margins. Margins have gone up for seven straight quarters in a row for Schlumberger, and they're going to be up 200 basis points this year, according to guidance. And then Diamondback, they are doing some fun things in terms of what their free cash flow, special dividends. It now yields 4%, and they've got very good assets. So, and it trades at seven times earnings. I mean, so I think these stocks can still be bought, and I'm using the weakness on whenever we get it to buy more. Doc, you're a diamondback guy. In fact, energy is your largest sector. Yep, it is, Scott, and it has been all year. And to give you an idea, um, Peabody Energy, for instance. Now, this is a you know more of a coal play, but nonetheless, Peabody, Patterson Energy, Consol, uh, these are up between 70 and 180 percent this year. To your point, um, I joined Steph and Bryn Talkington in FANG and in Venom. Uh, those are two stocks, VNOM and FANG, uh, that are really involved, of course, in fracking. But there are so many energy plays, and I don't disagree with Steph about the uh, uh, people that go out with technology to help uh, get more energy out of the ground, whether it's Halliburton or Schlumberger or a host of others, National Oil Well, Varco. I own almost all of them. And, uh, you know, that's my favorite part of the portfolio, without a doubt. Jason Snipe, you go broad XLE, but you also have Chevron. Well, obviously, I mean, energy has, has grown tremendously this year. It's up 60 percent year to date. You know, Chevron's been the fully integrated name that we like. As Steph mentioned, great dividend, strong free cash flow. I mean, revenue was up 70 percent last quarter. So um, energy, we've been market weight this year. I mean, we, we missed a little bit of the run up. So, but I do agree that, you know, if you're looking at oil crude as a proxy and that gas, like we talked about earlier, um, th these names have more room to run. So I think you can buy them on any pullbacks. 52 week highs, ConocoPhillips, Marathon Petroleum, Valero, 66, Apache, uh, Jim, you have Kinder Morgan. You don't own Marathon anymore, right? <laughs> you anymore. sold that recently? Sold it a few weeks ago. Um, wish I'd held on to it, but it, it had done so well for me yeah. that I decided a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. What I own, Scott, uh, I've kind of got a barbell approach here. I've got Kinder Morgan, which is a nice dividend play, and to the whole natural gas discussion that, they, that we were having, about three-quarters of their business is natural gas. So I really like that one, but my sort of sleeper for the next couple of years is Transocean. I will admit, last summer I bought this as more of a trade, but as I think about this supply-demand imbalance, we're going to be drilling everywhere. The rigs that Transocean Ocean has cold stacked are going to come out of cold stack. Their new builds on order are going to get immediately put into production and at higher and continually rising day rates. So I really like Transocean here. All right. Coming up, a reminder, June 22nd, do not miss a new CNBC documentary with David Faber, ExxonMobil at the crossroads. That's Wednesday, June 22nd, 8 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Straight ahead, a list of the cheapest stocks in the market right now. We'll see if the uh, committee thinks you should buy any of them. We ran a stock screener on that. You might be surprised, too, by some of the names when we come back. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, 
It's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Hello, I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Mexican President Lopez Obrador will not attend the Summit of the Americas this week in Los Angeles because President Biden did not invite Cuba, Venezuela or Nicaragua to the event, he says. According to the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, the administration is not really surprised by that decision. But she says the president wanted to take a principled stand on the human rights abuses of those three authoritarian countries. The president of Mexico will visit Washington in next month. A Florida mother is charged with manslaughter after her two-year-old son fatally shot her husband in the back. According to authorities, Maria Ayala failed to properly secure a Glock handgun, which the boy used then to shoot his dad. And today is an election night in America. Primary voters in seven states are voting on their party's candidates for the House and statewide offices, including gubernatorial races in New Mexico and South Dakota and the mayoral race in Los Angeles. Those resorts, of course, will shape the landscape for the midterm elections this fall. Scott. Contessa Brewer, thank you so much. All right, CNBC Pro ran a screen of the cheapest stocks in the market right now. That's what we were looking for. Here's the criteria today. Cheap relative to the market, cheap relative to history, and earnings holding up. And the winner was Ford, letter F. Jim Labenthal, I go to you first, of course, because you are the biggest supporter of General Motors on this program. You do not own Ford. And I'm just wondering what you think about this result relative to your holding in your portfolio. Yeah, I like Ford. I like GM better because of the autonomous vehicle, but I like what Ford is doing with the electric vehicle business. I like what both of them are doing. Now, the electric vehicle business, and in GM's case, autonomous vehicles, is why both stocks deserve to have higher multiples than six to seven, which is their historical range. That plus the legacy business that right now for both companies, but Ford also, um, is going through a high demand, low supply context in which prices are high and their balance sheets are really getting clean. So these stocks should do well for the foreseeable future. Unless you see a recession, I've been consistent in saying I don't see one coming. Yes, you have. Now, two stocks on this list that would never have been on this list, if not for pullbacks, especially Netflix. Jason Snipe owns Netflix. Remember, cheap relative mm -hmm. to history. Cheap relative to the market, I mean, too. But the one that pops out is cheap relative to history. Netflix would never have been on this list. 
now it is. Snipe? 100%, Scott. I mean, you know, Netflix is down almost 70% year to date, and they, they really need to figure out this password sharing uh, business and how they're going to monetize that. Also, exploring obviously this ad support vertical that I think could be accretive to the balance sheet. But I think with, as it relates to Netflix, I've been underway for quite some time. It's a very fragmented business. Streaming uh, is, is, is tough to really grow. But as, a, as an incumbent in this space, I think there, there is an opportunity. But Netflix obviously wouldn't be on the list, as you described, uh, Scott, earlier. You know, I'm more interested in a name like Qualcomm, mm. uh, which is trading at almost 11 times forward, diversifying their business, really has done well. And I think, I think the semi-industry, which is just going to be a part of our lives for years to come, you know, I, I would look to Qualcomm over at Netflix here. It is, it is on the list, um, so I'm glad you mentioned it, which Jimmy's smiling listening to you talk about it because he owns it too. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I'm glad I'm with Snipe on this one. Love it when I'm in the same name as him. The stock deserves a 20 multiple. Why? Because of the growth rate of earnings and the diversity of earnings, which Jason just talked about. Deserves a 20 multiple. That would put it up by around 230 by year end. Steph, Freeport's on the list. You've been buying some more of that recently, haven't you? <clears throat> Yes, yes, I have been. Um, I mean, it fell 20 percent after it reported and it was the report was a really good number. But this is all about the copper market and it being tight and them having leverage to copper for every 10 percent increase in copper. That's 15 percent to EBITDA. So they're generating another. It's another story that's generating enormous free cash flow. And they're actually uh, paying down debt, which I really like to see. And they've increased their dividend as well. So number one player in the space on sale at 11.3 times earnings. Doc, Dr. Horton, and Lennar make the list. You own those, and at least calls in both. Yeah, um, and uh, obviously uh, uh, the impediment or the the speed bump, if you will, Scott, is uh, higher rates that consumers are having to pay um, for mortgages and so forth. But the margins for homes are still sky high because the inventory is so low. Again, supply and demand. You've got a lot more demand, even at these higher prices that people have to pay on mortgages, uh, than you have a supply out there. So I think both of those continue to benefit from that. If we do see a flattening out of interest rates, which is one of the things that I'm hoping to see in the second half of the year, then I think these both work really well. Okay. By the way, you can see the full list of the cheapest stocks in the market according to our screen. You can go to cnbc.com pro and find them there. Bank stocks down 10% this year. Now, one firm says recession risks are not priced into that group, which means we'll debate it next. Let's talk about the financials. They're down 10% this year. Now, UBS out with a note today, guys. It says recession risks, Jim, are not priced into bank stocks, which is interesting because if you talk to somebody like Mike Mayo, he would suggest to you, like, bank stocks are are Price like they're pricing in a, a steep recession. So, and he's made that point with me before. Uh, yeah. Whether they are or they aren't, are they good buys here or not? Well, that's I, what I, I want to get to. All right. So, probably no surprise if you look at my list of holdings, I'm going to say they are a good buy. Berkshire, Ed. City, Goldman, JPM. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, you know, I heard the way you phrased the question. Forgive me, Scott. I do have to say, again, you know, you can be afraid of anything, right? Some people are afraid of clowns. Birds are afraid of scarecrows. If you want to be afraid of a recession, go ahead. But the job market isn't indicating it. And more than that, all right, Jamie Dimon uh, is saying that consumers and corporations have good balance sheets. Whatever he's talking about, the hurricane, that's a different story. Brian Moynihan, CEO of Bank of America, saying the same thing. Jane Frazier, uh, CEO of Citigroup, saying the same thing. All right, if you want to be afraid of a recession, go ahead. There's just no indication of it here. And in the absence of that, what you've got are banks that are generating very good cash flows with not that much credit risk. And those cash flows are being used to buy back shares in a lot of cases below book value. That's a beautiful thing. I'm going to stick with these. So you think these stocks, Jim, are at the mercy of where the narrative has gone Absolutely. towards recession. That's why they're down relative do. to what's actually happening. Because I was going to say, well, if all that is happening the way you say, why aren't these stocks doing better? Sentiment. I mean, you just said it. I'm just using one word, sentiment. But sentiment on the market has been lousy for some time. Jason Snipe, you got a lot of coverage here. Bank of America, BlackRock, Goldman, PNC, XLF, and the KRE. Yeah, so a lot of what Jimmy said is spot on. I think from from a uh, perspective just from sentiment and and obviously just kind of looking at the overall market and, and looking at balance sheets and the consumer, the health of the consumer, you know, obviously financials haven't done as well uh, this year. They were great last year. I think there is an opportunity here. And I think if you look at QT and, and the macro environment where obviously QT is underway, interest rate hikes, sensitive to sensitive to um, the balance sheet and, and, and obviously, you know, what, what's going on with rate. I think I think this is an opportunity. I think regionals could play well here, um, you know, and some of more of the cyclically oriented money center banks, I think, could play well here. So, yeah, I, I like them a little bit better than the investment banks here. But I but I think uh, some some of these banks could do well here. Steph, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, Amex. I mean, why don't I have anybody saying, no, I don't like the banks? Everybody's been in the <laughs> banks and they've been they've been disappointments. I know. They've been, well, they've I don't been know, dare yeah. I say value yeah. traps. They've just been disappointments. They have been disappointing so far this year, but they were wonderful performers, outperformers last year. I mean, Wells Fargo was up 63% last year, so it's only down 6% relative to the group that's outperforming, but I'm still not happy with it being down. But that's my favorite. Um, it's the most rate sensitive. So for every 50 basis point change in the Fed funds, that's about 16% to earnings and 7% to NII, net interest income. So they're the most sensitive of the names I own to higher rates. And I think the Fed is going to go 50, 50, 50, 50 in September as well. So I think that that setup for Wells trading at one times book is very attractive. I mean, Morgan Stanley is now yielding 3.3% and all they've been doing is executing with an ROTCE of 20%. That's an industry high. And they've actually forecasted that to, to be sustained at 20% or, or higher. So I like what they're doing on the M&A front. And then B of A also is kind of rate sensitive, but also they've done such a good job in terms of technology spend over the last decade. And their costs were actually flat, guided for flat this year when everybody else's costs were going sky high. So I like that one as well. I was watching for somebody, Doc, to say, I don't see a reason to be in these stocks or at least to buy them here. Uh, even somebody who owns them. And that's you. And you have calls in Bank of America and BNY Mellon and J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo and the XLF. But you don't see a big reason to buy these things today, do you? No, I don't, Scott, although I did like the Bank America news better than any of those others that you named that I do own calls in, uh, and primarily because credit card spending is up, I think, 13% in the last year-over-year -year period that they reported. Now we'll see what the next one looks like. 
But uh, obviously, that's an area that Bank America really does bank money on. Um, and I think that will continue as consumers draw down on their savings. They'll be forced to use credit cards more and more. Yeah, uh, and they are. All right. Doc has unusual activity just ahead, plus all of June. We are celebrating Pride Month here at CNBC. Here is our senior field producer, Chris DeLella. My advice to the community, especially LGBTQ youth, is to stay true to yourself, no matter what your background is. There will always be someone who doesn't agree with you, and that's okay. Don't let labels define you. What defines you is the kind of person you are. If you're an ally, be supportive. Speak up when someone makes a disparaging remark. To create change, we must use our voices and help lift each other up. Let's get down to Washington, D.C., to Elon Moy, who has a news alert on Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Elon? Well, Yellen just wrapped up her testimony before the Senate Finance Committee, where she admitted that she misjudged the path of inflation over the past year. Take a listen. When I said that inflation would be transitory, what I was not anticipating was a scenario in which we would end up contending with multiple variants of COVID I was not envisioning um, impacts on food and energy prices we've seen from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So um, as Chair Powell indicated himself, um, both of us probably could have used a better term than transitory. So transitory, they are no longer the best word to use to describe the ongoing increase in prices. Yellen was also pressed by Republicans on whether corporate greed is driving inflation. Scott, she said she believes inflation is being driven by supply and demand imbalances. Back over to you. Okay, Elon Moy in Washington, D.C. Thank you very much for that. Stay with Halftime. John has unusual activity next. Here's a tip for your money, your future. A silver lining when stocks slide is the potential to trim your tax bill by tax loss harvesting. Here's how it works. Sell an investment that's in the red in a taxable account and replace it with a similar investment. Then use that investment loss to offset earnings on winners. That can help reduce or erase your capital gains taxes for the year. If losses are greater than gains, use that amount to offset up to $3,000 of ordinary income from federal income tax. And if there's money left over, carry those losses forward to future tax years to offset capital gains, taxes, or taxes on ordinary income. For CNBC, I'm Sharon Epperson. All right, it's time for Unusual Activity now. Dr. J, tell us what you see today. All right, Scott, um, this is a sector that has been on fire. If you look at it for the last month, the Chinese stocks, whether they're the internets with K-Web or whether FXI or Asher, ASHR, um, all of these ETFs that track various sectors in China exploding higher. And now we've got big buying in ASHR, July 33 calls. They bought some 63,000 of these calls, Scott. That's six and a half million uh, share equivalent in this, and it has moved up 
dramatically, and people are betting it moves much higher. It was 31 and a half this morning. They're buying those July 33s. Second trade, take a look at Macy's, another big trade, 10,000 of the August 29 calls. On a day when Target comes out with that news about their inventories and so forth, people are betting on Macy's upside from now till August. They're buying the July, uh, August 29s with the stock at 24. Third and final, I know Steph's going to love to hear this because she just talked about uh, Schlumberger and technology for oil drilling and so forth. Um, Schlumberger, August 52.50 calls with the stock at 47.50, I think. They were buying those calls in big numbers today, and we joined them. I already own Schlumberger, so I just added more calls to that one, Scott. Gotcha. Okay, hmm. thanks for the updates, Dr. J. Thank you. Final Trades coming up next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the Investment Committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Hope you'll join me in overtime. Three hours from now, Brian Belsky will be with me. Anastasia Amoroso, Joe T, Liz Young. We got a lot going on uh, right after the bell in overtime, as we call it. So I'll see you then, I hope. Software stocks, they're on the move today. And we wanted to highlight some of them. It is Salesforce that's fueling the Dow higher today. And by the way, it's up 17% since it reported earnings. Uh, Jason Snipe, take it first, because you own that along with ServiceNow, which is doing well today. MongoDB is up big as well. Yeah, happy to see what's going on with, with CRM. They had a really nice print, 24% revenue growth. I know there was a lot riding on, on the print. Talked a little bit about FX as a headwind. I know that represents 36% of their business, but I think there's, there's strong runway ahead for a, for a lot of these software names, and CRM is, is the one that I think is uh, poised for continued growth. That's yours, CRM. Yeah, um, I, I obviously like the recovery that it's had. It's a smaller position yeah. for me because it's an expensive stock, but I have to note it's starting to grow into its multiple. Um, it performs very well, so I'm going to stick with it. But I have a hard time adding to it at this price. And remember, you know, uh, Benioff was the one who raised the issues of FX first, right? That's a good point. And the stock has done incredibly well. And, yeah. um, you know, Microsoft's recovered, too. Dr. J, Salesforce calls. You own Microsoft stock, but it's software that's our focus right now. Yep. I love both of them. Um, and, uh, you know, I... I I'm not going to say, oh, it took guts to buy it ahead of the earnings, but as you know, we did, and I've loved that trade since. So, Jason and Jim, I guess I'm in good company, um, and I still like it, and I'm holding it. We'll say it if you won't, Doc. It took guts to buy it ahead of the number, <laughs> kind of like NVIDIA, well, kind of like NVIDIA, which <laughs> yeah, Pete did. Yeah, Pete was gutsier with that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, we can agree on that. Uh, Steph, final trade. Yes, sir. Starbucks. So return of an icon, Howard Schultz. Uh, U.S. comps remain resilient at 12 percent. China is now reopening. So that's a good thing for them. They suspended the buyback and they're going to spend 20 million dollars on investing in the company, which is a good thing to do. September analyst meeting. So I like that stock. Are you buying it on Schultz staying around? He's not going to stay around that long. He will be staying around. He may not be the CEO or the interim oh, okay. CEO, but he's going to be on the board. Okay, your point is well taken. Well taken. Jason Snipe. 
I like J&J here. MedTech was really strong in the last print. I think the consumer segment will continue to grow. Had some supply chain headwinds, 2.5% yield. I like it here. All right. Dr. J, what's your final? Barrett Gold, G-O-L-D. They were buying upside 23 calls in July. I bought the 20 calls in July. Scott. Yeah, well, I mean, material stocks have done quite well, too. Uh, and finally, yes, Farmer yeah, Jim. Um, you know, you called the play earlier, and it was the right one. You said this market is just kind of sucking up everything that's being dished out yeah, to it. for the most part. For the most part. Um, and you know what? Union Pacific is a great example of that. They actually pre-announced this morning, too, negative margins because mm -hmm. of fuel. Mm -hmm. And look at the stock. Started out down 2%. Actually, the pre-market was down 4%. Now it's up 1.3%. This market, I think, is looking through. And again, football analogy, you brought up Super Bowl again. Friday is the Super Bowl. I'm glad that you brought up UNP because Joe Fahmy brought it up a little bit earlier on Twitter to me. You know, we had that big conversation about the, the Lee Cooperman School of Investing, right? You, take, you want to know where bottoms are formed? It's from stocks that have negative news. They open down, and then they recover to either go flat or they finish up on the day. So we noted NVIDIA that day. We'll keep our eye on this, too. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you in just a few hours in overtime. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.